Children will observe adults' behaviors and emotions for cues on how to manage their own emotions during difficult times. Need help and support? Please contact us at the hotline 311 Psychosocial Support at 722-6575 or 518-4157. Brought to you by PAHO, the OECS Commission and UNICEF. and welcome to the show it is a beautiful friday it is june 26th and i am your host Tresha lionel i'm so happy that you guys tuned in on hits fm 92.1 and 91.1 in the south uh if you were listening before you know that there's this um this really good show on hits now uh, man versus woman which i like with asylum and um mackie I think it's a great show. I just think, you know, maybe it's redundant because women win at everything. So there's no need for a competition. We were always right anyway. But I love the show. So once again, thank you again for tuning in on Hits FM and listening to us there. Also on Facebook Live for all those tuned in there. And also on Channel 124 on Flow. And of course on Instagram. We are on all different sorts of um, social media uh, it's Friday, so I'm looking forward to the real weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and I know you are too. But uh, as we go on with the show, I, and from the beginning, since we started the show, I have been really concerned, I've been really passionate about media and media workers in our association, or the lack thereof. And when I heard a report last night on uh, Minister Dominic Fede speaking on broadcasting and the state of affairs right now for media workers. I got really intrigued. I know that many of my other media colleagues know that we're facing so many different complications. We don't have a real association at this moment, uh, which, is, which is really a shame because just in these past few weeks, we've seen the different turmoils that media workers go through. We are asking questions and they're not answered. Um, we saw with Miguel that he had his own intimidation tactics being leveled at him. Um, and also with Jaka. And also Jaka is at Hot 7 and also with Solaj Alfred over at HTS. And I, for one, have also felt that there is some sort of uh, discrimination. I know for a fact <laughs> back um, last year... For some reason, I think um, the police wouldn't let me into their they wouldn't let me into their press conferences. Um, that's okay. I think we're over that now. But you know, these things happen, and you rub each other the wrong way when these things go on. But I thought it interesting when Mr. Fede said that he's doing a great job. He gave himself an A plus uh, for being Minister of Broadcasting and Information, and I thought it would be interesting for us all to look at right now. Minister Dominic Fede often addresses members of the media in his capacity as Minister for Tourism or Parliamentary Representative for Ancillary Canneries. Over his term in office, his focus has been so narrow that many may have forgotten that the minister is also responsible for information and broadcasting. This means that Fede is the line minister for everyone operating in the media space. Four years on from his appointment to that role, members of the media took the opportunity to ask Fede what he thinks is his biggest accomplishment in that regard. Well, I think we've been able to keep a very open and stable media environment, maintaining that, allowing the press their freedoms. Um, you guys can ask anything. We are available to you all. Um, there are so many talk shows that have um, come up. In fact, just in the last few months, there are about five or six new talk shows, and that would not have been possible without the right-enabling environment. So we kept the laws that are friendly to media. Um, we uh, ensure that the GIS, the programming, has improved significantly. When we look at um, the stuff that they're doing and how they have been able to keep the nation abreast during COVID, and they have basically led the way 
in um, furnishing the private sector with all of the information and then it became an information command center and I think that that is really uh, my greatest achievement. Fede added that he would have preferred to see more training. Currently, there are very few avenues for media training in St. Lucia. There are limited opportunities provided by the government of St. Lucia and the lack of a functional media association makes it harder to source regional and international opportunities. Through the efforts of managers and news editors of local media outlets, individual journalists have benefited from regional training funded by various international organizations. While unable to cite specific things he has accomplished for St. Lucia's independent media houses, he did issue advice based on his personal experience in the field. A lot of people would have um, taken a dim view if, from a government standpoint, um, we were engaged in training media, we would have been accused of trying to buy the media. But I'm a former media professional myself, and I have my own views on how media should be done and how it should conduct itself. Um, and I would love to see, uh, you know, us go back to those days where we verify uh, before we publish stories and we ensure that if there's no credible source that we, we stand down on stories and we um, make sure that we take our obligation seriously to bring truth, fair and balanced truth to uh, the public of St. Lucia. I remember um, my editor, my news director is a very honorable man who's still practicing media and I remember if you brought a story to him and you couldn't verify the source or you couldn't um, place on a record something that didn't get the station in trouble um, legally he didn't he didn't uh, allow you to carry the story and you know I think that journalism is truth but it's also about verifiable truth Speaking generally about journalists and other media personnel in St. Lucia, Fede had this to say. You guys do a tremendous job. Um, it takes a lot of courage to do what you do. And I admire you guys all the time because, you know, sometimes, you know, you get caught in political crossfire and you may do a story that a political party may not like um, either of the two. And you get maybe... Um, you, you, you get caught in the middle of what's going on between, between the two main parties. And that is the reality of your profession. The minister continued to explain his negative experiences as a media worker some 20 years ago, as well as citing instances where a particular veteran broadcaster was referred to as a, quote, media terrorist. He also cited the fact that media workers have also been attacked by members of the public. However, Fede made no mention of what measures, if any, he plans on implementing that would benefit journalists during the remainder of his time in office. For Choice News Now, Nelsia Shalmine reports. And the minister there spoke of journalists looking into verifiable truth, and I wonder if he were still, if he was still a media worker, and he heard a minister speaking. Uh, uh, a constituency rep speaking with one of his constituents and the constituent is saying, as a, um, you give that person $18,000 and I want twenty five, and Gaza, you have to grease me and you're giving me nothing. And then that minister is responding, saying, okay, I will give it to you. Don't worry, we'll sort it out sort of thing. And you're seeing the sort of blatant corruption there. I wonder how Mr. Fede would have dealt with that. Isn't that a verifiable truth? And I wonder too whether he thinks there, would, there should have been any repercussions to that. If he is a media worker, if he was a media worker again, listening to a minister say that, because I've heard stories of him and him being a good reporter and he always wanted truth and he was, you know, he was a, a hound of, of sorts. I just really wonder what it would be like for him being a media worker, especially in this environment where people are going through things like this. Now, there are arguments for and against this demolition and the reasons range from environmental or heritage to economics. It's argued that the police can no longer work under those conditions. Therefore, now the thing is to personally, when you're entering media, when I came in uh, 21, very young, you know, <laughs> 
And a lot of people too, they come in very young, very fresh. And I think it's one of those things where you get the youngest person you can get, many of the media uh, organizations. You get a young person straight out of school, so you know you can pay them. Because the first, my first paycheck when I worked in media was $1,500, you know? And you get paid that way because you're young and because you're new and because, to be honest, you don't know any better, so you're learning. And, um, and of course, you'll grow with it. But when it comes to that and you're underpaid and overworked and you're getting all the stresses of the job that nobody even understands, you're getting threats from people who want to maintain their power, you're getting um, threats of you know, lawsuits and everything like that. It's a really difficult job. Um, and, I, and I feel for a lot of the other people here in this, especially during this election time. Um, and when you're asking questions and nobody will answer, and when they too can go to your bosses and say, you know that girl, I don't like that girl, you know, I don't like that, that reporter, that kind of thing. This actually does happen. So when we talk about media, yes, we do need some actual structure. We need an association. And when I hear too of a journalist in Barbados just earlier this week being murdered um, while that person was trying to cover a story, you know, it too, it happened just across from us. So we need to be really uh, aware of these things and we need to also want better as a people, as, as, as media, as members of the media. And it brings me back to just the other day when um, media workers were asking the prime minister, you know, who ordered the, the demolition of the royal jail. And he wouldn't answer. And that's not the first time it happened. It's happened to me. I know I've had my own tips with um, Guy Joseph as well when I'm asking, you know, give me a time, a time for the construction of the St. Jude's Hospital. And we had our back and forth with that. And when you're doing that, you must not be afraid. And my mother always told me, I have a gift for not being embarrassed in these things. And when you're doing that, you're not supposed to because people will continue to tell you no. But you, it's one of the most noble jobs, I think, in bringing truth to the people. And I think when I spoke with Janica earlier, and she was one of the, the media workers who they've been ignored when asking their prime minister questions. And the latest one was when she asked about the demolition. And she spoke about her feelings about that. Um, his rationale for asking that the project um, uh, or the demolition be, be, be activated or, or, or letting us know um, in which office this decision emanated. But then he stopped. And... <laughs> And uh, so, you know, I don't know why he seemed to think that he, we would be satisfied by, by this canned response when, um, you know, the question of who authorized this incredibly, um, I, I would say, abrupt decision um, was paramount on everybody's mind. That is the question of the day. You know, we have to tell um, the story of what happened and we have to say who, what, where, when, why. Uh, we don't often get to the whys and the hows of the matter, but, you know, usually the basics are covered. But in this case, we don't even have a who. And, and um, you know, knowing that we have contacted um, various officials up the line, at least uh, my station has, and not really gotten any response. In fact, it was only today that we briefly got in touch with the Attorney General, but he was in Parliament, so we weren't able to speak to him. No answers have been forthcoming from any public official. Uh, and so as, um, you know, the, the, the chief executive, so to speak, we question him directly when we had the opportunity and, and the fact that he just refused to answer was just uh, I, I don't I don't even have the vocabulary honestly to describe to describe that so and because I have also been in the middle of it I know for a fact that people within government can call media owners to say um, I don't like that story drop it and I have seen that happen. And when it did, I felt that I had to leave 
because I couldn't stay there. You cannot stay if you really love your job. And of course, there are the journalists, there are the people on TV who just want to be on TV just because, you know, it's TV. And then there are the people who actually take their job seriously and want to show the truth. They want um, justice to be had and that sort of thing. So it's a very difficult time. And with elections coming, I know that there are some reporters, specific reporters actually, who will be targeted during this time. And I want them to know that although we don't have association, but um, I and many of the other colleagues are with them and I'm asking them to stay strong. And also with um, another thing happened there with Jacka, and especially the you know, women I think in media, with Jacka and Solaj Alfred, who I think is a great reporter, um, is that they've, they were targeted to during that demolition. And the response from members of the general public, I thought too, was very heartening. Following a news report where a tractor operator at the Royal Jail site was caught on camera, purposely covering a news team in debris, Chairperson of the National Trust, Alison King, has spoken out against media intimidation. She says persons should not be targeted for carrying out their jobs, particularly in the case of the media, whose role is integral to keeping the public informed. Well, I'm understanding that there was an incident between your reporter and, and persons on the site. Um, in, uh, uh, basically, an in, a move of intimidation against, your, against the media. I believe the media has a right to report on this story, and they have an expectation not to be intimidated. So, I'm sorry, but perhaps it's symptomatic of what is going on in this country. National trust rights have been trampled, the media, what about your rights? These sentiments were echoed by Castries South MP Ernest Hilaire. An attempt to intimidate the press. The press covered the demolition. The press highlighted to the people of St. Lucia what was happening. And the individuals they obviously want to teach the press a lesson and to intimidate them. So they probably believe if they do that, the press will be frightened to cover stories which exposes the abuse of power. And I think that is a typical tactic that is used. Meanwhile, former chief engineer John Peters expressed sympathy with the team who endured this treatment. He believes they should receive an apology from the Ministry of Infrastructure. I was a bit disappointed in what happened to you yesterday. Um, it was distasteful, I must say, to the league. That's a minor word. And um, I hope you get an apology from the Ministry of Infrastructure for what occurred. He further applauded the team for continuing their duties and documenting what had occurred. Jacko Winning, Hot 7 News. Especially at this time, I would love to get more uh, details from other media workers. And I had another media worker speak with me just, well, earlier this month, um, speaking again of what it feels like to cover a story where the leader of the country is ignoring you and your question. And, you know, some people would be like, okay, if he ignores you, don't put it in. But I also think the right thing is show the public that you're asking the question. Show, show the half, show everything, and let people form the opinions of themselves. And I think Amani Mathre did that. She's uh, the senior news reporter there at Choice. And she, too, explained how it feels to work in media and not get any answers from the leader of the country. And I think in clipping that report and putting it together, I deliberately chose to show viewers what happened because i didn't want it to be a report where i said to viewers i asked the prime minister this question and he didn't answer and i was left with more questions i wanted them to actually see for themselves first him trying to avoid the question going around it doing it again and then blatantly disregarding my question when he asked somebody do you have any other questions and then him eventually walking away because i i think people need to see these interactions that journalists have in the field because what you get in a two, three, or in my case, four, five minute report is not always, it doesn't always reflect the entire experience of you as a journalist in the field. And I think a lot of times people watch news reports and they're left asking questions. And they're questions that we as journalists cannot always answer. And I think it's only fair to them to show them why we cannot answer these questions. So for me, that's something I've really taken on in just, just playing the entire interaction in the report and letting people judge it for themselves because some people have called his actions disrespectful to the media people are entitled to that opinion and i i would like to give the audience that opportunity to watch the prime minister's interaction with the media and gauge it for themselves what do they think of the way the prime minister treated not just one journalist yesterday not just two not just one station but 
multiple journalists and i really do have to say though that i liked that our media fraternity asked the question multiple times it is an important question that needed to be asked both regarding who authorized the demolition and more importantly why should st lucians trust the word of the government when we have the prime minister now just last week asking for forgiveness not even asking he's saying if he hurt whoever he's hurt if he hurt us then he's sorry and he asks for forgiveness i again and i said that earlier i want it to be i know that i was disrespectful to members of the media in the past tell me something so acknowledge that there was wrongdoing show remorse and then restitution and i said that earlier as well so the prime minister and his call for forgiveness is something that different sectors will have to listen to and different sectors will have to come with them, whether they'll accept it or not um but it's something that we do feel disrespected i think for the most part for many of the media workers those just trying to do their jobs even though the prime minister might not like it or the line of questioning or it makes him and the other ministers feel uncomfortable people just trying to do their job and that's that's the end um so i thought it very interesting when uh the prime minister asked for forgiveness with everything that he's done in the past um you asked me um do i sleep well <laughs> i told you i sleep very well praise god for that because i always leave revenge to the lord mm -hmm. that's great that's It's not great. for me that's right mm -hmm. my mother-in-law always said to me revenge is for the lord the relationship between myself and Janie has not been a good one. This is not a person that when we meet in public that we even shake hands. And so therefore to have somebody who has made it public her her opinion about my party. I try not to personalize anything. As Kenny Anthony made St. Lucia safer, he didn't. But I will. The country is in need of an attitudinal change. Was that handshake an example? Yeah, look, you know, um my my mother-in-law always said to me revenge is for the Lord. So I said Mr. Tulsi needs to go. I try not to personalize anything. My sentiment that he has been a complete dismal failure. Certainly my position has been I try not to personalize anything. Should it be every dog that barks that I should respond? I try not to personalize anything. He's a hypocrite. So I want to take a a page out of your book. Mm. And I want to say to your audience that if in any way that I have done anything mm -hmm. to hurt anyone um to upset anyone mm -hmm. be assured that that was not intentional that's right and i ask for your forgiveness mm -hmm. um and i ask for your blessings right. i'm a, i'm embarrassed for you okay and i'm ashamed of you it can be mutual respect on both parts i just want to um ask a quick question about the health uh, the national health insurance white paper that was supposed to come out last october can you tell me who is working on that and do you know what the progress is so far any other questions but certainly uh, there is nothing that i'm doing to try to hurt anyway. anyone and i'm certainly trying to do things to help um build a, a new solution Widespread comes a group of superhero germ busters, the germaphobes. We spend most of our time fighting germs every day of the week. After I play, I wash my hands. Before I eat, I wash my hands. After I play with my puppy, I wash my hands. I cover my sneezes with my forearm or elbow when I am in public. And I cover my cough to avoid spreading dangerous germs. We are the Jumbofools, germ-busting superheroes. You can be too. Always wash your hands and cover your sneeze and cough. Let's stop the spread of menacing germs. We'll be back, Jumbofools, with more powerful germs. And we will be waiting to prevent you from spreading. 
with a special rhythm. But we are experiencing a public health crisis never seen before. And it has left many of us isolated, anxious and afraid. And even though we are missing our families, our teammates and our friends, keeping our distance ensures our safety. Why is protecting our loved ones? And by extension, our solution. Let us embrace the silver lining for what it is. A moment to reflect and chart a brighter tomorrow. We are 758, 759, and everything in between. And it is because of our resilience we shall persevere. We are all St. Lucia. We never give up. Let's do this together, apart. Welcome back, and thank you so much for staying with us. As we go along with the show, I have to put in um, something that I think is very important to me and a lot of people from the South is what's happening with the road going adjacent to the, the airport fence. And last week I did a report where I spoke with a technician and he was explaining that even though the in, Invest in Usha is saying that it's just exploratory works, um, it's not the case. This is real road works already happening and we delved into that as well. Um, but now we're hearing the most recent from, from the district representative um, of Viewfort South, Mr. Kenny Anthony, yesterday. And he didn't say much, but it seemed to be thinly veiled, I don't want to say threats, but he is saying, you know, tread carefully to invest in Lucia in what they're going to do. And he's also asking that they stop making promises to people in the South and then just turning around and not taking it on. Because when I spoke with some people last weekend, they were saying that they, they were told there was going to be more consultation, they were told there was going to be more meetings, and that never happened, and they have no idea what's going on, but the works are continuing. So they feel too disrespected, and maybe that's the issue too. In very many different sectors, feel the disrespect that there is no consultation, things seem to be very high-handed, and things just seem to be happening. And that is not just happening in Viewfort. It's seeming to happen just when we spoke about the public service workers, just with the um, press release that they, they issued uh, yesterday, the day before, um, that things just happening and nobody knows until the very last minute. Uh, and Dr. Anthony mentioned that as well yesterday always come up with new things. Do you know the road they want to build across the airport fence and put up two small hotels was a project that was conceptualized in the 19th centuries, you know. Maybe that's when you served as, so you're trying to recreate what you may have been part of unwisely. But, but you know, Mr. Speaker, and there are several reports, all I will say at this stage is this, and I believe you are the Minister for Investment and Lucia, is that right? Are you? Good. When the investment solution makes promises to people, we must keep them. It said to me that whatever report of their consultants will be made available to me, and they will engage the community of Viewfort to discuss what proposed. But they have already rushed to physical planning to get approval in principle. My friend, tread warily. Tread very warily. And for what it is worth, I put you on notice. I put you on notice to talk to your agency about the implication of making public promises to communities at large. And that was Dr. Anthony there. 
speaking about investing, Lucia, and there are other people, the Concerned Citizens Group in the South as well, and they're saying that they do not like what investing, Lucia, is doing. They've called um, Mr. Roderick Cherry a liar and saying that he lied to them by making promises that, you know, they, they, he hasn't delivered and also making claims in media that it's, n it's just exploratory works and there's been a lot of consultation. So they're calling him a liar about that and we'll have that later on. But for now, um, we do have a video clipping of the meeting that was held in Viewfort between the consultants, the people who are going to do the project. That was done on 11th March 2019 where people in Viewfort were discussing how that project was going to go about. And it was there that people said they did not want the concrete road um, to be demolished and they were told okay they were told that they understand and they will find another way if what I'm reading here is correct that they're going to punch a few holes in it but he thinks they found a way to retain part of it and celebrate and explain its historical significance in the new plans being presented these plans have not been delivered to anyone the v still don't know but we do have um, that meeting a piece of that meeting which it might be difficult to hear, but I think we all have to get the information from um, the people who were there just last year, and the, that's where the promises were made as well. Is even connected back to the soccer pitch in the park, so we really try to keep that pretty close to where it is. It's not exactly where it is, but keep it in the heart of the community and have it with a strong connection to the beach and a strong sense of community connection to everything that's around it and, and to the water as well. The thing about history, which was giving me a big heartache when I was here last time, was the history of the road. And because I, I, I saw it then, and I still see it as a bit of a, a disruptor, because having the promenade, which is a more human scale thing with plants and so on and so forth, seemed better. What we decided to try to do, actually in a bigger plan, was keep the, keep the road from here to the bottom. Keep the, the existing road, okay? But, but let's celebrate it, and let's find a way to celebrate it. So our idea is to really turn it into a promenade that actually addresses a museum parcel as well. Maybe we punch some holes in it, we put some trees in it, so it's still not 70 feet wide, just asphalt. But, but it's still the original road. It's still got the history behind it. And when we get here, we're going to develop a, a, a plaza called the Infield Plaza. I'm not sure exactly what came up with that name. but um, And here we have a chance to tell the, the story of the history and people that visit the beach and people that live here that don't know about it or don't know why we did this, they'll have the opportunity to have it explained to them or something. We don't know what that marcation is. We don't know. We just know we're providing an opportunity to tell the story. And the way to celebrate history and keep history alive is to keep people knowing about it. So that story created this promenade piece to here. And then beyond that, it really becomes more pedestrian oriented. Even though that bit, I think, will be more pedestrian also, I don't really think we need to have cars running through it. And since we're addressing the existing park, and we have parking in the museum, it might help activate all these things. And if you have festivals or, or, or any celebrations or anything else, this is an easy thing to, to close and sort of have your event or your, or your, uh, or your, your, your celebration. Um, one of the things that we don't quite have a resolve, I think it was brought up by a couple of people here, when we were talking about moving the road, well, we've kept this piece, but we were talking about bending it down and bringing it back through the community here. We heard some comments about, well, what if you just bypass it because there's a lot of traffic issues and there's other issues that continue to bring the traffic through. We're not traffic engineers and we don't have it completely solved yet. But it's, it's an idea that we're still working on. So we, we're, we're working to figure out exactly how it's going to be. We talked a bit about infrastructure and getting the water off the site so that the site can be developed and not breaking through the beach so we didn't have environmental concerns. Since we left here, we've been in touch with and are working with the engineers that are doing the airport. And we're coming up with a comprehensive plan on how to handle the stormwater in a, man, in a managed way. So they sort of like this idea, has not been fully confirmed, but it's in the hands of guys that do it better than I do it now. So just to say that we are going to have a comprehensive system that works with the airport redevelopment and works with the development opportunities that we're trying to create here, all those things are going to work together.
Um, you know, we think this, this is the community benefits. I think I touched on, on lots of these things, but when you see it in the simple diagram, it says, okay, here's where you can get to the beach. You can park your car there. Hopefully we can build a restaurant facility there. We can have lots of places where you have that. And we know we can get to it anywhere along here. We know we're putting a promenade in. So many people believed what they were told there, that the road would be kept and maybe transformed into a promenade. I heard the words, a museum somewhere on the side, a boardwalk, trees planted on the side. And I think maybe it's part of the new Sinusha that is being touted by the prime minister in the south. Um, but in the end, again, it is disrespect. I think to a lot of people, especially people in Viewfort, to continuously see things and not know what exactly is going on, being promised that there would be more consultation and nothing ever happens and there are no repercussions to that. And we hear from the leader there, the president of the uh, Concerned Citizens Coalition for Change in Viewfort, where he spoke with me earlier, and of course he's passionate and incensed, and he is calling out Mr. Roderick Cherry for comments made in the media just last month. And, and, and for Mr. Cherry to think you know, that he can, he can just come in and rip down that road that has helped to preserve the environment. You know, that coastal environment for four years is nothing but madness. Okay? And the, the, the plan also calls for putting boardwalks in the area on the sand, of course. And to subdivide the land, you know, um, um, you know, within that area, into into sizable lots. And when we when we look at the sizable lot, not only we, I'm talking about um, businessmen, young businessmen who are the meeting. When you look at the size of those lots, it was impossible for any one of them to buy it. The cost of the lot, you know, and, um, and and when that was asked, Mr. Shelby laughed because he knew that the cost of the land would be above the means of ordinary business people in before. So clearly, this is not intended for Bifortians or Centrusians and probably for the high-ranking you know, people in our society, but it is more intended for foreigners. And that's what we're hearing now, that the land has been subdivided. So our, our, so our problem with all this is, Mr. Sherry, by letter um, dated May the 10th, said he would take, come down to present to us the revised and finalized drawings for the, um, for the master plan. This has, this has not happened. We have sent a letter, uh, rather we sent a letter to Mr. Sherry um, sometime in December, sorry, in January of this year, asking for a status, uh, you know, update on this thing. He never replied. He never acknowledged our letter. So how does Mr. Sherry get the nerve, you know, and the, you know, to say that the, the, the concerns of the Fortians, I mean, the plan incorporates the concerns and so on. That is not true. This is a big lie, Mr. Sherry. You have to bring the finalized plan to us so we can then ascertain, we can then ascertain whether in fact our opinions, our um, proposals have been incorporated into your finalized plan. Unless this is done, unless this is, this is done, Mr. Sherry, you cannot make that statement. And I want to say something um, else also. Over the years, over the years, MDC and ISL, you know, that combination has almost kept the forces away from the land and other resources that they manage in the Fifth area. You know, they harass people um, when they occupy lands or when they ask for land. They alienate people. They, 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 they disenfranchise people. You know, so the Fifthians feel as if there's nothing that they can get from ISL or from um, NDC. And there's no trust as well. And, there's, and now there's no trust, okay? Because as you mentioned that, that's very good. There's Mr. Sherry in his letter says he wants the project to be an all-inclusive project. How does that project become all-inclusive if at the end of the day, you simply bring to us your plans, your conceptualized plans, you know, for, for the area, then you do not um, show us how our concerns and our opinions and whatever and our proposals have 
you know, been incorporated into this plan, and then you go on TV and radio to inform the nation that you have done so. I am calling on Mr. Sherry to take back that word and come to us in Viewport. With all that's happening around us, simple adjustments are necessary to keep us all safe. When calling 911, we may need a little more information to deploy the right personnel and protocols. You may be asked about your travel history, signs and symptoms, contact and movement history, and whether others in your household are exhibiting similar symptoms. Please, be patient and cooperative during this time to ensure you receive the best possible care while keeping our first responders safe. The most riveting, the most eye-capturing UTV. To advertise with UTV, dial 484-7588 or 572-7588. For some of the most competitive rates, amazing programming, and bang for your buck. The most popular streaming channel, UTV124 on Facebook. Get it now! Check us out on Instagram at UTV124. Email us utvslu at gmail.com. It's not just for me, it's definitely TV for you. Who drinking it first? UTV! Who drinking it first? UTV! Yo, this is Hollywood HB. Bigging up UTV, you done know the baddest and the greatest. UTV Underground Station, you mad. You're watching UTV. TV for you. Thank you so much for staying with us also on Hits FM 92.1 in the north and 91.1 in the south. Um, also, you guys there on Facebook and also on channel 124 on Flow. Appreciate you guys staying with us. And we've come to the final leg of our show and we will open the lines at 572-7588 in just a minute. Just give me a while, but let's first go to um, a presentation in the house which I thought was interesting because it pointed to some of the most uh, some of the pertinent questions uh, that we have towards government because we know that the borders are open but I keep saying borders are open but when I say borders are open I'm, I'm hearing Invader's song in my head and it's taking a lot not to say it on national television on a morning show but yeah the borders are open um, although it doesn't seem that way and there are a lot of other things that seem to be incoherent, like the economic assistance program, what's happening with the NIC. We have thousands of people currently unemployed and um, nothing yet is happening. So uh, with that, the debates, the budget debates, of course, are ongoing. And I was riveted by what uh, Dr. Anthony had to say. And this is the same Minister of Finance that punished the National Trust by stripping it of its subvention 
because it refused to do its bidding. This is the same Minister of Finance who, by denying a trust an annual subvention, caused the National Trust to close the exhibition home of Derek Walker. Now, the noble statements about developing culture. But then, Mr. Speaker, this is the new St. Lucia where punishment is meted out to those who disagree with the administration. That's the new solution. Welcome, Mr. Speaker, to the new solution. Let me now, Mr. Speaker, turn to some COVID-related issues. Mr. Speaker, no one has blamed the Minister of Finance for the COVID crisis. Yesterday, the leader of the opposition was at pains to make the point, that point in his contribution. He certainly has been criticized for certain decisions made by him during the shutdown. The sudden shutdown made on the day it occurred was stupid and amateurish. But that's history. These things happen. But Mr. Speaker, in the political exegesis of this budget statement, which as I said is more, more a statement of political economy rather than budgeting, there are burning questions for which the budget provided no answers. And I hope in his reply some answers will be provided. Why is it, Mr. Speaker, despite the opening of our so-called borders, that airlines operating out of the United States have not arrived in St. Lucia? Why is it that bookings suddenly appeared and then disappeared? Why? Was it an issue with the protocols for arriving passengers or with the fact that St. Lucia maintains a state of emergency or both? What is it? After all, other countries in the Caribbean, Antigua, for example, have started to receive flights from the United States. More crucially, Mr. Speaker, and I will come back to that in a few minutes, why is it that the NIC has not been able to make payments to hundreds of persons? Why just some? Mr. Speaker, it's a very serious issue because, you know, as parliamentarians, the questions are directed to us. And I will share with you in a few moments the plight of one worker who communicated with me this morning. The problem, Mr. Speaker, is this, that there is a, a wall of silence from the National Insurance Corporation. You can't reach them. You can't talk to them. And you know, Mr. Speaker, there's a habit developing in this country where senior public servants, senior managers in the public service do not take calls from parliamentarians or return calls to parliamentarians. No matter how helpful you may wish to be or how urgent the matter may be. And with that, the lines are open at 572-7588. That was former Prime Minister there um, asking, I think, really pertinent questions like, what exactly are we doing? And I think a lot of people expected in the budget to know what they're doing. The small business owners uh, and everybody else was looking for something, some definitive thing on what to do next. Um, as to what, what will happen with the borders, they're saying that they might change the protocols. Um, we don't know what's happening with that. There are no tourist arrivals here yet, um, and all the U.S. airlines have backed out. So, again, it's something that we all have to contend with. Um, 
and listen to maybe what the rebuttal will be like. Maybe the Prime Minister will come back with some definitive things for us and we know exactly what to do next. Um, but the last thing that we heard from the Prime Minister with regards to the borders, which continues to intrigue me and I like hearing it sometimes and I thought you would too. The reality is, is that uh, once that condition exists, nobody's coming. Currently, anyone who travels from Canada, when they return, have to go back into quarantine in Canada. The same thing in the UK. So no tourist is going to come to St. Lucia um, currently with the processes that we have. And we knew that. But we wanted to say to the, to the, the other countries that this is what our process is going to be. We've been working behind the scenes um, with the different pharmacies in the U.S. to... Uh, get what we think will be a rapid test. So the ability of a person going in and getting tested in less than 15 minutes. And that there'll be an electronic certificate that will be established, that will be gone to your, your um, phone, and it's an app which would automatically send that information to San Lucio, to which other countries are going to be participating in the process. So the doors are technically open. So there was talk there of an app. I haven't seen it yet either this is another one another promise there um but i think the other points that were made was the sort of vindictiveness that it seems the sort of punishment that different agencies go through like the national um trust and the subvention was taken and the demolition happened even though there was an agreement and these things they really strike out to a lot of people because it shows that um the that these things continue unabated. So again, the everybody else, St. Lucians are waiting. They're looking for something coherent from the Prime Minister that we can know what to do next. I want to know what to do with my bar. I want to know what's happening with education. I want to know so many different things. But all it seemed was just um, election promises and what did you do in the last four years within the house which people saw right through so it's some of those issues that we have to tackle um and even what happened with you know the police officers that were part of sunday's revolution <laughs> sunday's um drive um what's happening with that person as well because to some to many the rumor is that you know that person was punished for what they consider not listening or not following protocol not following orders and they were transferred because of that um and because this is some of the situations going on people do not know but i thought it interesting and i thought um we could also listen to one of the reports detailing what the police welfare association have to say about all of that By now, it's no secret that tension has been brewing within the Special Services Unit, and as we've been made to understand, much of this surrounds the recent transfer of Burton de Turville. De Turville was the commander of that unit up until last week when he was abruptly transferred to the Complaints Unit of the RSLPF. This move took many by surprise, as de Turville is said to be well-liked among members of the SSU, who have since expressed both confusion and concern over this sudden transfer. To date, the public has not been apprised of an official reason for de Turville's transfer. However, many of the officers who were formerly under his command are convinced that the move was an act of victimization. Ahead of the meeting, we tried to get some insight from the Police Welfare Association president. Can you tell us about the purpose of today's meeting? No, well, generally I'm, I'm aware that this meeting is just for the commissioner to brief the men at the SSU. Um, I was invited and I've made myself available so that I can be part of this meeting. But I'm not too sure what is the agenda this afternoon and I'm hoping to form part. I hope that, I'm hoping that it's a good discussion, fruitful one, and that we could all discuss some of the issues that, that seem to be affecting the, 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 the men at this point in time. Is one of those issues the recent reassignment of the officer in charge of the SSU? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it would be discussed, but I'm not sure whether it's up on the table for discussion. But I'm hoping that the men can discuss and discuss how they feel. So the commission has given them the opportunity, and it's an opportunity for them to ask questions and to get, get him to speak with them to maybe explain what is happening. and. Hopefully that they can understand if it is for the development of the organization and the unit, they could take it from there. 
So what justification has the force given for that summary? Well, I'm not sure. The Welfare Association it does not sit on transfers um, unless if it is on a point of principle. And um, I'm not sure that an, 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 a, 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 well, an explanation must be given to the Welfare Association, but um, I'm hoping that the executive would have um, sat among themselves and it would fit in the strategic objectives of the of the of the organization. And based on your communication with SSU officers, what's the mood like down there with them? Well generally I mean there's no fact there's no there's nothing to dispute that the commander was a good man. I mean I worked with him personally for five years um, at the drug unit and um, I mean he too would have treated us as if we were his kids and there was that that, that semblance of, of unity and team 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 building. So um I can just imagine that some of them would have gotten attached to him or gotten a bit close to him, how they would feel, especially looking how sudden the transfer is. But um, as we know, we are in an organization where officers are subject to transfers, and um, we're just hoping that the reasons for the transfer, if it could be discussed with us today, at least we would be aware as to what the, what the real reasons are, reference to all the rumors that we have been hearing. Although I attempted to seek further clarification from the acting commissioner of police, he politely declined to comment on Thursday's meeting. We were reliably informed that Thursday's meeting came after SSU officers made their outrage known as it relates to Burton de Turville's transfer. We understand that the officers of that unit have made it well known that they will continue to stand in solidarity with their former commander. And even then, I would like to know what came out of that meeting, what's happening with that police officer in question. Uh, we seem to have a call. Good Hello? morning, caller. What's going on? Not much. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Huh? Mm -hmm. I just called to inform you because I, mean, I can't see your show because on 36 down here it's blank actually. So I just took a chance to see if I could have gotten through. Finally, I did. I'm very happy. That's good. I just called to inform um, our Vufortians and you know the nation that we are on our second leg of our protest in Vufort on the 27th. That's tomorrow Saturday. Tomorrow Saturday on the promenade from three o'clock. We have written to the police, but they have not written back, giving us permission. Mm -hmm. So we are going to have a walkthrough rather than a drive-by. Uh, we want to inform the public that it starts from 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and we are going to march, walk through the town of Beaufort to protest on uh, the insensitivity of that government and the way it controls and runs that country. Mr. Lubin, any concerns that... Um you might be arrested for such a protest? We, I'm not too concerned about being arrested, you know. I'm concerned that I have written to the police and they have not written back. Okay. So instead of breaking the law, having a drive-by, we're going to have a walk-by. We're going to walk through the town. I have, I have legal concern for that because, you know, actually I'm not a house slave anymore. Although Shastney has made it so again, I have to be re-emancipated now. That's why I'm taking that stance. Because colonialism had a conscience. I want to show him that colonialism did not have a conscience. So I want to inform the people public that we're going to through that walk just, uh, just on Saturday tomorrow public? starting from 3 o'clock on the promenade. And I want all patriotics, devotions, St. Lucians and environs in particular to join us in that protest match. That's what I call to have told you, Tricia. Um, right. Finally, from, uh, will it be a socially distant walk? Will you guys going to be six? We know everything that we should do, Tricia. We are in conformity with the law. We are quite conversant. We are not lawbreakers. Mm. We are doing things we know that will help develop our community and our country. And we are doing that protest much because it needs to be done. Thank you very much. Very well, Randam. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Um, well, you just heard on Saturday there is going to be a protest march in Beaufort on the promenade at 3. Um, how that will play out, I do not know, but I will be there to cover it, you know already, Makaila, and um, just to see exactly what that will be like. We know what happened last time there was that um, driver on the island. Um, and this is the second time that in Viewfort they will, they will have this um, protest. The first time they had a driver on the different communities, and I saw police officers there. Um, one was trailing the vehicles, but it wasn't stopped or anything, so I have... You know, I doubt that anything will happen this time around, but it will be interesting to witness.
Um, and with that, we come to the end of the show. I appreciate you guys tuning in on radio, on Hits FM 92.1 and 91.1 as well. Also, also on Facebook, on television, channel 124 on Flow. Also, we're on Twitch. You know what that is? It's a huge uh, social media platform, mostly for gamers. But we're there, and we're the first ones there, first ones there, first ones there to be on Twitch. Um, and as we go on with the show again, you know, we'll be discussing a lot of different things, different uh, um, issues, and as, as they come up, and I'm looking forward to your experiences, your thoughts on the matter. So if you feel the need, you could message me or call at 460-3054. That's my number. Um, and with that, I wish you guys a great and safe and happy weekend, and also have a great afternoon.